Thank you so much for joining me today. I am Yetunde and I talk to people about their journey into tech. So today I'm speaking with Nicole on how to self-teach in tech. So Nicole, how did you get into tech? Hey, Tunde. So glad to be here. Um, that's a pretty loaded question. I, um, I actually have a really interesting, very atypical pathway that I followed into tech. And I didn't really see it coming. But um, in short, I had actually, I was always kind of a nerdy bird growing up. I love to take things apart and probably not put them back together. And I, you know, really just enjoyed tinkering with computers. I had learned some HTML and CSS back when I was a teenager, which I know I'm not the only one there now because a lot of people had their live journals and their Gigapets pages. So I, um, I kind of went through that generation. And when I got to college age, so I had attended Wellesley College and my freshman year, I was dating a guy who uh, was going to a local polytechnical school and he was going for a computer science major. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a thing. <laughs> like I had only been aware of like information technology, working with like hardware, but it totally makes sense too because somebody has to be making the software, right? But yeah. I never imagined myself doing that. Like I think I imagined myself messing around on the web specifically. But anyway, I was like, okay, well, we have a computer science major here. I'll give it a shot. And I kind of failed spectacularly, which uh -oh. is, yeah, I mean, I didn't really fail like anything. It was just really a lesson kind of along the way. But the lesson that I got, I was doing great in the beginning. I started out with my 101 level. And then once we got into data structures and algorithms, which apparently is kind of known as a bit of a weed-out course for a lot of people, unfortunately, we shouldn't have any weed-out courses. Yeah. But I did hit it and I had trouble. And looking back, I really realized that this is kind of the beginning of my interest in educational technology because I was not getting what I needed to be able to learn it well. Um, I didn't respond well to classroom environments. I, oh God, the list is just long. I don't like being talked at when I need more engagement. Um, I was very self-conscious in a classroom setting. So basically once things started to get tough, it was like, okay, well, maybe I should change things up. And I was sitting in office hours with one of my advisors and he was just like, yeah, he <laughs> was just like, um, you know, I see you struggling. I see that you're working really hard and you want this, which is great. But like, you've also been in here every day for the past like three weeks. Um, you know, maybe it's possible that computer science just isn't the right fit for you. Like you could be in, interested in any other area of tech, but maybe computer science just isn't it. And it sounded so well-meaning to me that I was yeah. like, okay, you're probably right. Like he had just validated that I was stressing, in my mind at least, because I wasn't a good fit for something, which quite frankly, I was already kind of used to. I had a lot of failure, but I just worked really hard. So I was like, okay, well, 
this kind of hurts and sucks, but I'll switch majors. And I did. I switched to political science. And it wasn't until years after I graduated into the recession in 2007, lots of really low paying jobs after college, I didn't really get to start a career that I wanted to start until I got into tech. And that happened after years of working in customer service. So right before I taught myself to code in 2015, I had been working for a tech company, which I actually chose. I had made my first kind of career navigation. And they were a software as a service company for iPad um, point of sale. And I was like really excited to work there. We kind of had our own customer service location. And then there was across the country a tech, you know, the kind of engineering department. I really wish we had been together because like I had so many questions all the time. And I just would have loved to be able to talk to somebody about them. But the engineering department didn't really want to talk to me. You know, it's like customer service. I tried to kind of show that I knew something, but they were probably like, oh, you're the most basic thing ever. So I was just, you know, I didn't get to really explore that until I lost my job there. So in May of 2015, I was actually fired, which I have no shame about. If you're going to be fired, you should absolutely be fired for doing the right thing at the very least. And I was, so I felt pretty good coming out of it. But at the same time, I was like, what am I going to do now? You know, like I have no concrete path in front of me for the first time in years. And this is terrifying. Um, And so I figured if I stayed there in that headspace for too long, that I wouldn't end up doing anything. So I made a plan as quickly as possible. In fact, by the time that I kind of taken my first step off of that curb outside of the business, like I hung around there for a second, just in like a daze and so confused about what had just happened, but also like, all right, this is a good step forward opportunity for me. Um, And I decided before I even stepped off that curb that I wanted to teach myself to code. Um, I had seen that online um, you could do it these days. So I was just like, let's give this a shot. I have no clue what I'm getting myself into, but that was kind of my foray into tech was teaching myself using online resources. And I was 29 years old at that point. Um, It was a little less than a decade since I graduated. I, if you had asked me right after I graduated, if I, you know, ever thought that I would find tech again after kind of being discouraged from it, and I discourage myself, truthfully, you know, I don't blame anybody else for my decisions, but, you know, that was my entrance into tech, and I found out that there are a lot of other people that have made that kind of atypical, you know, non-traditional pathway into tech, which is really reassuring, and I hope that, you know, my presence here can be valuable to them too yeah a lot of people that really want to get into tech somehow they find their way back in even though at first they got discouraged and moved on if you really truly love something i believe that you'll always find your way back to it you know i that web component wasn't in my computer science major by the way we were learning with java which i you know in not a web sense. We were just kind of building programs like local desktop programs even. And I hadn't done anything 
on our like local server programs even, I hadn't done anything web-based that was really exciting to me. So adding that extra component, I realized it made me feel like that little girl again that used to kind of tinker with my websites and it gave me some creative license again. You know, I felt like it was okay to kind of dig it in and take the time to answer my own questions. So it's been really exciting for me, but that's how I got here. Yeah, I find that uh, most computer science programs don't teach the web-based parts. In my uh, school, we also only did Java and C++. Yeah, yeah. and I, if you're really interested and curious about the web, that can apparently be what makes the difference between whether or not you stick with a computer science major or not. If it's boring to you or if it's just too challenging and not balancing out your innate curiosity or you're being forced to do something a particular way, and not being given that kind of freedom to explore, you're going to burn out like a certain type of person in particular, which was me. <laughs> that type of person is going to burn out. You know, it doesn't keep your interest for long enough. And I see that now. But when I was in the mix of it, of course, I didn't. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. And also the algorithm and data structures. That was, <laughs> I almost failed because of that class for I yeah, took it, it's a good good. <laughs> it's a tough one because yeah. it's very important. You know, we have we have to have that introduction at some point and the earlier the better, but there was something that I was just missing in terms of context. Like again, I focus in on that now with people that I work with, but I was just like there is something that is not allowing this to click for me. Um, it was very abstract. And so because we were moving at such a pace too, and I didn't have the time to take my own, you know, my own time on it, it really got challenging. I don't feel like I really got to understand anything. And computer science, those 200 and 300 level courses can definitely get that way. It's yeah. uh, not necessarily anything wrong with you, just the nature of the content. That's true. So how did you get past uh, the challenges you had while learning in school? Uh, how did you get past that while you were self-teaching yourself? Oh, wow. Um, that's a great question. Um, so the challenges that I primarily faced when I was entering the industry were not having, even though I had a tech background, I did not have any kind of a plan or a path in terms of entering the industry. So apparently not uncommon too. I kind of dived right in and had like, I was just drowning for a while. Like it was fun for a second. And then I just, you know, I started to make it way more complex than it needed to be, which I tend to do. Um, another huge challenge that I had, which actually ended up kind of building my way to my current career in educational technology is that I was struggling with some learning disabilities as well. I don't like to call them, you know, disability per se, because I did really get past it with a lot of work. And I am, um, but I actually do have a nonverbal learning disability. And I also have Asperger's syndrome. So I am on the autism spectrum. And those two factors made my education hell. Um, starting back in high school, even, you know, and this carried over into when I was learning to code. And yeah. I never quite learned how to learn until in a way that actually worked for me until I was 29. 
you know, I was learning by everybody else's definition of how to learn books, classroom, you know, you name it, but none of it was what really worked for me. And I discovered that what worked for me really was very visual and auditory resources. My nonverbal learning disability wasn't even diagnosed until I had a neuropsych exam back in 18. And I kind of got in there because I was like, why does like, why do I suck so much at doing some of this stuff? And, you know, it offered some great answers. But one thing I realized is that that diagnosis, if I had had it earlier, would have given me more time. And so I could have worked at my own pace. One of the biggest things for learning to code online is that you really can take it at your own pace. So the challenge really was in reconciling, you know, trying to teach myself how to learn being able to do that on a consistent and quickie, you know, like I needed to be able to research stuff ASAP, you know, that's really important for self-taught coders. But that was really a huge challenge for me um, because once things started to get more abstract in terms of computer science, just like it did when I was going through the 230, CS230 data structures and algorithms, I started to freeze. And that part doesn't change. But this time around with online courses, I was able to stop. I was able to find other resources. I didn't have to feel so anxious about it because I didn't have to raise my hand in class. I did learn how to raise my hand online, but it just, it was very different. So having to navigate a completely different way of learning was definitely a challenge, but I can tell you this much, it paid off like 50 fold because I was able to become a really fast and strong learner after years of not being able to do it. Mm, That's true. And the educational system doesn't really cater to everyone's learning needs. So Mm -mm. No, they really don't. And especially in the US, I know we have some pretty unfair class sizes and ratios. And I totally get it. You know, like it's very difficult in person without the use of instructional technology and educational technology to be able to deliver an optimal experience to all of those different kinds of learners. And so now that I've started to identify them, I recognize, wow, yeah, that wouldn't be a teacher, you know, classroom setup that I would ever want if I had to write on the board, if I had to show a video, if I had to, you know, read to people for the auditory factor, if we had to do hands-on. But really, that's the best way to run a classroom. But we're limited by the number of teachers that we have, the number of resources they have to be trained in what they're teaching as well. Um, It's a lot. So being online, having all these resources online really makes a difference. You know, we're able to impact more students' lives more profoundly than we ever have before. Yeah, definitely. So while you were learning, what resources did you use? Well, the first resource that I used, um, I had started back in actually 2000. 12 or 13. I had heard about this um, learning platform. I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I had heard about a Portland-based company called Treehouse. And so Treehouse was supposed to be um, a video-based platform for learning to code. And they said, you know, you can learn the skills to get a job. And of course, I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, And so they really kind of became my hub for going to learn for starting out learning different concepts. 
I did learn as a result of kind of learning how I learned to, because the video and the auditory worked so well, I started to supplement you know, things that I didn't understand. So if I hit a concept that was like, oh my God, I really don't understand Flexbox or something in CSS. Like, I really want to learn more about this, but this platform just isn't giving me what I need to make it click. And honestly, Treehouse usually did. I would get it the first time with them, which is another reason I'm like totally loyal. But they, um, you know, I was able to kind of put things on pause there and usually go to YouTube. Um, and in the beginning, I watched all of the different YouTube videos and I didn't really get what I needed still from like a lot of them, but I would watch them anyway, hoping that I would. Um, I realized pretty quickly that's not the way to do it. Now I am very skilled at figuring out, you know, between scrubbing the video, kind of paying attention to different factors, closed captioning, I can figure out if a video is going to be a good fit for me and teach me what I need to know in, you know, less than a minute. And so that started to save me a lot of time. So that combination of Treehouse with YouTube videos, also blog posts, even though if they're well formatted, I do not respond well to those giant chunks of text that we're used to in academia. I just cannot read them. I mean, I don't know if that's an accessibility factor, but I can't do it. I'll lose my place. I get confused. Um, and a lot of people that I know nowadays are like that. So, you know, I really kind of also turn to podcasts. But the thing about podcasts is that they don't typically go into um, super in-depth technical topics or um, even just kind of protect, you know, producing context for something where I didn't previously have it. So I started my own podcast and that actually kind of became the Live Young Code podcast um, became kind of my way to learn and then create something so that other people could learn and then go back to it whenever I felt like I was kind of fading. And it's funny, I learn from myself still. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, yeah, but I learn from my own podcast episodes now, like looking back at them. But yeah, it's kind of been a mix of all of the above. It's been, you know, the podcasts, blog posts, videos, you know, YouTube and Treehouse. And I've also really grown to love um, Free Code Camp. I've been working in the Free Code camp community for a couple of years now doing local meetups and I was given the top contributor status for 2018 but their platform even though it's not always the perfect fit for me it's very text heavy um, I respect it and I really appreciate the fact that it's open source and I recommend it to some folks that need you know or want that kind of text based kind of test driven environment and all of them work great you know, it's, um, I haven't personally, I've used um, other resources like Udemy courses. Um, I have used Coursera courses. Um, I think I had used one of the edX courses um, for computer science, um, CS50, which, you know, is now, that's an another way, amazing way that we've made um, university courses available to people. So I am, yeah, kind of a mix of all the above. I don't understand how anybody could ever go through just using one resource. And I don't think anybody really does. Yeah, definitely. So what makes Treehouse different from other learning platforms for you? Oh, yeah. So I actually just made a video on this too um, on my new YouTube channel. And I've done a podcast episode on it as well because I really believe so strongly in them. 
What makes them really different for me is that, especially now that I've gotten into educational technology and I know in instructional technology too, and I know what to look for in solid resources for learning, I've realized that what really differentiates Treehouse is that they're instructors are also well-versed in educational technology. So they understand how to convey the information that they're trying to convey. It's not just, you know, the tech it's, I know the tech and I know how to teach it to you. And that really made a huge difference because learning is not a one size fits all experience. Um, And I recognize that right off the bat with Treehouse. You know, I, also found that I was able to allow myself to get really competitive with them because they do have a, um, a lot of gamification features, actually, which are, for the audience, elements of games mm-hmm. in things that are not games. So factors like randomization, like... Um, you know, being able to track like a reputation of some sort. And they've done that in here. Um, Treehouse gave me, as soon as I recognized, I think that was when my education ramped up because of how competitive I am. They actually give you badges and they count your points. Every time that you finish a course, a lesson, um, or a track, you get points and watching, they do rankings kind of globally. So watching your ranking go up is really kind of really addicting. So I fell prey to that and it really helped me to keep up streaks when I felt like I didn't want to keep going. Um, And yeah, I mean, that was one of my favorites. The other is that being a a self-paced video platform, they do have a lot of resources for people you know, to work through tracks. They've organized the content into specific tracks that people can follow that end up in an actual job description. So you're not just learning random skills. They're actually building on each other kind of into a stack and they'll get you a job that uses that particular stack. So yeah, that made a huge difference because in the beginning, you don't really have that compass for where to go and what to learn next and where to learn it. So having at least an introduction in all of those was great, but they did even more than introductory level. They do go in deep um, and they rely on projects and testing too. So you get little quizzes and tests. You have to write your own code. Um, but yeah, it's kind of in their user experience is really, you know, part on the people at Treehouse are incredible too. You can hear how enthusiastic about them. I am not even an affiliate for them or anything. I am just a fangirl. Um, they made such a huge difference in my own learning experience and they made a huge difference in the people, the experiences of a lot of people that I've met. Mm-hmm. But that's what I love about them in particular. Yeah, it seems like uh, they provide incentives and they actually guide you to your goal because some other learning platforms just teach you the technology and then tell you what to do next. Precisely. You know, and it does come down to more than just technology too. Um, Treehouse also focuses in on things like freelancing, on interview skills, on, I mean, there's everything in there. They really wanted to cover every aspect of, you know, the new coder experience, which I really respect. We don't have enough resources out there that do that. Yeah, definitely sounds great. So do you have any tips for getting into tech as a self-taught developer? Yeah, 
If you are considering getting into tech, if you're learning to code, if you, you know, regardless of where you want to end up in tech really, um, or I'm sorry, in development, I work in web development in particular. I'm actually a front end developer. And so I always try to be a little bit specific. The word coding is cool and all, but I focus on web technologies. And um, for somebody who's coming in just a self-coder in general though, um, it's really important to know a, why you're doing this. And that sounds so basic, but if you don't have that why, like for me, it's, I love tech. It's actually kind of two part. I love tech and I want to support my family. I have an 87 year old grandfather that is the love of my life. He raised me. I want to make sure that he's taken care of. I want to make sure that I'm taken care of. And also I wanted to allow, that was the big reason for my career change. But the reason for wanting to learn tech in particular was I wanted to be able to have my freedom and my license back. So if you don't have that why really clearly defined, you're not going to have anything to kind of push you through when things get tough. You always have to remind yourself of your long-term goals. And as soon as you start to lose track of those, I did. It only took probably a couple of months even. I was like, wait, why am I doing this? This is really tough. Maybe I'm not meant for it. Um, And I just remembered I can totally do it if the things that I want to do it for are very important to me. They're always going to be important. They'll still be important even after if I drop out, right? Yeah. So at that point, I started to kind of change my mindset overall and tell myself, you know, that why is going to be everything. I got it up on a sticky note on my my computer monitor. So that's a huge factor. Um, the other thing that I, you know, and I'll talk about my program in a second, I guess, but another thing that I really work with new students to identify is there's a lot of, you know, considerations to make before you even start writing code. You need to, that why is one of them. Um, You need to have a budget if you're career changing. Um, You're going to need to have a timeline of when you want to get your first job and you're going to need to work with somebody who's experienced in the industry to help you figure out if that's A, reasonable or not and achievable um, given your availability, you know, if you're currently working a job, whatever. Um, And you also need to do your research on your local industry. Um, these are huge factors because even not even touching the tech yet, if it doesn't look like it makes sense for you to do it, you shouldn't do it right now. And that's not to say that you shouldn't do it, period. You're probably an amazing developer, you know, in the making, but it's things like having too much on your plate. It's things like not having the means to bridge that gap because as soon as you start worrying about things like that, you're going to get distracted. It's going to derail you. You're going to start doing things for the wrong reasons. Um, And, you know, it's just not fair to you either because you're choosing to teach yourself to code. This should be an enjoyable experience for you. You know, it shouldn't be stressful all the time. I wouldn't want it to be. I wouldn't have made it if it were stressful all the time. So learn how to love this experience. Do your research beforehand. Find out if there's even jobs in your area, what the salaries are like. Um, you've really got to do that research first. And then once you do, then start talking to people. Like that is something that I should have done a lot earlier. Um, get on Twitter. Twitter is where tech lives. And um, 
start, you know, introduce yourself to a community like dev community. There are hashtags out there like hashtag dev community or hashtag code newbie. Um, these are the people that are going to help you when things do start to get tough. And I, I really focus in on that part too, when things get tough, because otherwise it's cruising. And if everybody was cruising all the time, it wouldn't be such a challenge, right? We'd have a whole lot more programmers and great programmers at that. Yeah. But by focusing in on that struggle, which is very real and we need to talk about it without shame, that is the aspect that I really want to focus in on in terms of tips. You can find tips for learning code anywhere else. But you know, it, this is a foundational approach that I tend to take, very foundational. You cannot learn to code without a strong foundation. That's true. Um, so why did you decide to start sharing your journey through podcasting and blogging? <laughs> um, so I started my little blog, La Vie en Code, which is life in code in French. I do not speak French. I have a French last name, but I um, had started this little blog just to kind of talk about whatever I was learning. I had a section called like what I'm working on. I talked about treehouse courses and to my surprise, I was actually getting people reaching out like, I read your blog. It is really good to know that people are out there talking about this. And, you know, I struggle with this because I'm very honest and transparent. Um, there was a period where I felt like I shouldn't be because I felt like I should be ashamed of being new. But screw that. <laughs> I ended up basically deciding early on that I was going to share everything that I knew because apparently it was helping other people. And I was being told that I also had kind of a gift for communicating things on a very 101 level, you know, explain like I'm five, it, because I need it that way. So when I started writing, people were really resonating, you know, it was really resonating with people. And then I started the podcast in 2016, late 2016, the Livianco podcast. Yeah. It's available on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those. And I, um, my goal there, it was kind of a challenge to myself. And the challenge was A, to get over any fear that I had of recording my voice because it's really a very powerful medium for sharing information. It's very intimate. And it's, you know, you're going to be in people's ears while they're commuting and, you know, not just in their eyes while they're reading. So I wanted to make sure that I did that right. And it took me a while, but I started creating episodes that were really big challenges for me to speak on, not just stuff that I was comfortable on. I started learning for the purpose of teaching others. And that made me so excited because I learned better that way it turned out. I never would have thought that would be the case. But blogging and podcasting, I actually did a talk on this last year at the Moms Can Code Summit, virtual summit. Blogging and podcasting transformed me into a lifelong learner. So once I started to see that that was going to be the case um, and that I could really bring about some massive change by just being really transparent and open about what I was going through. You know, if this was hard for me, instead of acting like it wasn't, to just accept it being hard and go find help. You know, if somebody makes fun of me for it, they're terrible. <laughs> they probably shouldn't be trying to help people, you know, if they can't do it right. But it's, yeah, and just kind of learning not to be discouraged from, you know, asking for help. And um, 
I've heard great things about the podcast. I love it. I love listening to my own podcast. And I do it when I need to remind myself of that why. You know, that why, looking at your own content, your own code, your own blog, your own podcast, whatever, it reminds you of your why. Because when you made that, you were in your why. You were experiencing some kind of pain that you weren't, you know, able to connect more with it. You were experiencing joy because you were well aligned with it. And I think that having the opportunity to go back and look at my growth over the years has been a gift. And I encourage anybody and everybody, even if you don't think that you're a strong content creator, or even if you think you're too ashamed to share your code and your knowledge, do it anyway. Really, it's going to be more beneficial for you and you're going to be helping other people in the meantime. And that is such a valuable, positive experience of being in this industry. And it's very unique. Yeah. Uh, Teaching other people makes you learn so much better because you want to give people the right information. Oh, yeah. And you want to make sure they understand. Yeah. No, I, if I struggle to learn it, I figure somebody else did too. Yeah. And if they struggle, it turns out to be a lot more people than you think. I promise you, because you realize very quickly, not everybody is asking for help out loud. And when they read or hear something that resonates with them and they say, oh my God, I struggle with that too, or I struggled with it, they want to speak up and they want to share their experience. So what you end up with is this positive feedback loop, this chain reaction of vulnerability and helpfulness. You know, people, that's how communities are formed, when people start speaking up. And um, yeah, I love it. I love sharing my journey and I hope that I'm inspiring other people to do the same. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned your course earlier. So what's that about? So I created back in, I had the idea to create back in 2017. I thought to myself, um, I had been listening to podcasts where people were talking about how to share their information, you know, in the greatest medium, basically, so that the right kind of person would really get the most out of it. Because it can get exhausting creating content for so many different types of learners, you know, trying to cover all your bases. So I was like, all right, well, I could really do some good leveraging what I'm learning about creating online courses. And what I was starting to realize was also another strength of mine is coaching people, encouraging them, giving them a route, a path, you know, something concrete, giving them a flashlight so that they can see when it gets dark and, you know, they can't find their path so easily. Um, And I realized that I was able to offer, the more that I was learning, the more I was able to offer people in terms of kind of that that little toolbox that they needed and the inspiration to keep going. So what came from that is that, and it's, it's changed forms so much over the years. It did start out as just an online course called 30 Days to Web Development. And the initial goal of the course was to the 30 days part was mm-hmm. that it was intended to kind of be a pre-learning. So for people who wanted to change careers into tech and learn how to code, All of those mistakes that I just kind of talked about up till this point and learned from, I wanted to teach them. And I wanted to not only teach them from an online course, but later on, I ended up adding on the coaching component and turning it into an actual program. So it's online course and 
individual coaching. And well, in this case, it's going to be group coaching soon, but which is excellent for everybody. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But we have, um, I do one-on-one coaching too still. But the, um, yeah, I really want to create a safe space for people to enter the industry. I wanted to really get people the confidence that they need to know what they're doing here and be able to not fall prey to being pulled in a million different directions. I wanted them to have one spot, a kind of a hub, a community where they could come back to, you know, even past the 30 day period. And the 30 days was basically just intended to teach them all of those foundational skills. So that was really what I had envisioned. And I think I've done a wonderful job so far of really bringing that community together um, with the students that I work with. And I bring them in typically in cohorts. So I have another cohort coming up in May. And the, um, the big thing I think that has really made the difference is the content, though. I mean, the coaching is of you know, utmost importance. But when I coach, we're working around topics. It's not just like, what are you working on? Let's talk about this. I want to save their time and really use that one-on-one coaching to help them navigate the course content specifically and to help them kind of tie their own experience into it. So I ended up you know, making this product that I realized changes lives now. And the content itself is focused around problem solving, learning how to learn, and understanding the context. So not details, not cripplingly complex, abstract, you know, language. Yeah. Basic one-on-one level of what everything does in this industry. And obviously I couldn't cover everything, but I teach people, you know, they can always come back to it if they get confused. What are these different aspects of the front end? What are these different tools that you might want to learn? What are, you know, the different stats that you might need to identify where all of these skills can come into a job description? And being able to combine that coursework, which I'm really proud of. I had a lot of fun making the coursework, almost as much fun as I have uh, coaching folks. But it's, it really kind of creates an entire journey. It's a transformation, really. It's a transformation from at the beginning when students come to me, people being confused, nervous, anxious, you know, self-doubting. Um, they're not sure if they can do this. Maybe they don't have much time and they need to move fast. Um, they don't know what they're bringing into tech to begin with. I want to get them to the point where they're able to learn independently and get the most out of their learning after just 30 days but they can take it as it turns out life also happens and some people can't manage it in 30 days, but they still do want it. So despite the name, it's kind of self-paced at this point, you know, people can kind of take it whatever pace they want, but those are the areas that I really focus in on. I focus in on getting people a plan where they can actually create a path. We pick out kind of an ideal job title and work toward that so that they can really build skills that come together for a job. Um, I help them understand how to start applying for jobs as soon as possible and how to market themselves. So those are really important factors in this industry. And I think that they're sorely underestimated in terms of that importance. And people aren't, they're not learning them, you know, until it's at the point where it's frustrating. So that is 30 days to web development. Um, It's really the center of what I do at this point. I still do blog and podcast. And, um, but I love working with students and that's always going to be probably my first love. I love writing code too. I really love writing code, but this is fun too. I love when I get to help them with code. (laughs) That's my favorite part. 
Yeah, definitely sounds uh, some, like something positive for newbies in tech because there's some, some people can get dragged in the wrong direction. There's some negative aspects while you're yeah. learning. So it sounds like a welcome community to help guide you through your journey. Yes. And I have emulated um, a lot of other existing great communities out there. I mentioned uh, Code Newbie, which is a super supportive community of new coders and some more experienced coders that are just there with the intention of helping new coders. We create a lot of content. We, you know, make it available to people on the wide, I unfortunately can't coach for free. So there's that component, but like I probably would have in some cases given away my course for dirt cheap, but the like actual content that we have out there is geared specifically toward those people because you're absolutely right. It is so easy to get pulled in different directions and people who are starting don't even realize that there is a wrong direction to go if you have a particular goal in mind. So that's the biggest part, not understanding that helps. It doesn't help people be protective of their time while they're learning. So that's kind of a skill that I try and teach people. Yeah. So what's your main goal as an educator? Oh, what a wonderful question. I, um, my main goal is to impact as many lives as possible. Um, I might not be able to, with the resource that I I have right now available to me, which will likely, I hope to God, it'll change in the future and I'll have more resources to work with. But um, my goal is to impact as many lives as possible, to help people achieve things within their community. I have a student right now who is going to be doing exceptional work, bringing the tech and the knowledge back to her community in Mombasa, Kenya. And I have students that are, you know, over 50 years old and weren't sure if they could do this. If I can change their lives and help them to understand, at the very least, the possibilities for online education, and then kind of lead them down the road following their natural curiosity. Like one of the biggest things for coaching is you learn the power of coaching isn't in telling people what to do. It's actually just in asking the right questions. There are lots of questions that we don't know to ask ourselves. We don't know what we don't know. And so, you know, or we just never consider something that is right in front of you. I'm sure you've dealt with that. Like the answer is right there, but you're looking past it. And that's where coaches really come into play. So I think that I have a really powerful model going on being both a you know, a one-on-one and a group educator and helping to build community so that people can learn from one another. Um, It's the same as being in a classroom and fostering, you know, student interaction, you know, having them work in groups, having them really get to know each other and respect their peers so that they can feel comfortable learning from them. That's a huge thing for some people. They don't want to ask for help because they feel self-conscious. They are wondering what the other person is going to think of them. By fostering those really important trust connections between students, God, the opportunities are, are endless. Like I've really started to realize that when students start leveraging each other, that is when the magic happens. That's true. So thank you, Nicole, for joining me on my podcast. It was yes. nice having you. Absolutely. I know I could talk forever on these topics. So I'm really glad that, um, you know, that you and your audience are interested in, in this type of journey. 
So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, you can find me on Twitter at lavi underscore on code. That's L-A-V-I-E underscore E-N-C-O-D-E. Um, I am also on, I'm not on Facebook all that often anymore, but um, yeah, you can find me on there at the very least and um, follow me, say hi. And uh, if you have any questions, I'm an open book. Okay. I'll put all those links and the resources you put in the description. <laughs>